So that's like one of the first things I, I think is helpful for people to think about is being mindful and just kind of observing everybody doing something the same way <laughs> in your industry. And that can be hard, especially nowadays, because especially with, you know, we've gotten used to social media. Everything's driven by trends. Trending audio, you're like encouraged to follow a trend because you think that's what's going to be recognized and end up getting a broader reach. But when it comes to branding and packaging, sometimes that can really hurt you because then you're just blending in and you're not going to be noticed anymore. Welcome to the Dreamer to Entrepreneur podcast, a show designed to motivate and inspire women to stop sitting on the sidelines of life and finally take action towards accomplishing their dreams. Join us, Brittany Hughes and Amanda Benedict, as we share business advice, as well as our own experiences of starting and building a successful business while also juggling mom life. You'll also hear from other amazing women who bring their own message and advice to the show through inspiring interviews. It's all collaboration over competition here. Get ready to dream big, take action, and always show kindness. Let's dive in. Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of Dreamer to Entrepreneur. We are so excited to have Abby McGrew with us today. She is the founder of Wayfarer Design Studio, and she has quite the story of how she got started, and it sounds just a super interesting lady, so we are very excited to have her on the show today. So Abby, I will hand this over to you. Go ahead and tell our listeners about you and how Wayfair Design Studio came to be. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'll start from the beginning and just first to give an idea of what Wayfair even is. Um, we're a brand packaging web design studio. We specialize in working with e-commerce product-based businesses, and we're all about building heart-led brand experiences for their customers. So that's the general idea of what we do as far as how I got started. Um, I always knew I wanted to be a designer. I fell in love with design back in middle school because I was obsessed with changing the layout of my MySpace page, <laughs> um, But which sounds kind of silly, but it really was like my first introduction to how powerful design can be mm -hmm. as like a storytelling tool because I thought, oh my gosh, I can change the fonts and the colors on my MySpace profile page. And make it feel more like me and so that people will be able to see it and have a better sense of like who I am. So that's when I first fell in love with design. So I always knew I wanted to be a designer from like the age of 13, went to school for design and then ended up starting my own design business about three weeks after I graduated from school. It's a bit of a crazy story and I'll, I'll try to keep it short, but basically I assumed after graduating from college that I would go work in the corporate world or the agency world. Like that's the the path that was presented to me um, and also what I felt more most comfortable doing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but about a month before my graduation, my then boyfriend, now husband, got an offer to go play professional basketball overseas pretty much immediately after our graduation. They wanted him in Australia to start his season. 
So he called me while I was in web design class and said, hey, you want to get married and come with me to Australia? And I <laughs> said, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah, so, so it's funny because whenever people ask me, you know, how Wayfair started, it's kind of, it kind of goes hand in hand with my love story and, and getting married because that's really why I ended up starting the business. I got married. We moved to Australia the day after my graduation and it was so exciting, but I really quickly had to rethink my career plans. I wasn't going to be able to go that traditional agency corporate world mm-hmm. route to be able to do what I, what, I, what I wanted to do. And so, yeah, it was not my original plan, but I'm so happy that it happened that way because I realized the best way for me to be able to travel with him full time, usually we move to a new country every season the only way for me to really do what I loved and live that lifestyle was to start my own business. So that's how Wayfair was born back in 2016, me um, wanting to have that freedom and and also do what I knew I loved so much since the age of 13. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's how it started mm-hmm. <laughs> way back when. It feels like forever ago now. <laughs> wow. That's so awesome. And so where where are you now? Like what country are you in now? Uh, yeah, we're in Spain. And I'm from the U.S. I didn't mention that. I'm obviously from the U.S., I think, from the way that I speak. But yeah, we're in Spain right now. So this is our seventh year of traveling around. We've been all over. Wow. wow. And so it's a different country each year? Yeah, typically. Um, we've had a couple of seasons where we stayed. We had one season where we stayed in the same place. We we went to Australia then for like a summer, then to Denmark back to Australia for another summer, France. Um, we were in the U.S. for a season, then Portugal for two seasons, Romania, and then here in Spain. Oh, so wow. it's a long, so long list. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm like so jealous. I love, I love traveling. I, I wish I could do it more, but yeah, that's, that's exciting and fun. Yeah. Yeah. We're so lucky. You know, we're, we're both small town kids from West Virginia. <laughs> oh, wow. So it's really crazy um, just that we've, yeah, been lucky enough to to have this experience. And of course, credit to my husband because he worked very hard to, you know, have this career for himself as well. You know, this is his his job that allows us to travel like this. So yeah, it's it's amazing. It's just been such a great privilege, I think, to to live in so many different parts of the world and just not just visiting them, you know, for a vacation, but really having to learn to live somewhere mm-hmm. that you don't speak the language and you're not familiar with just like general day-to-day things. And we're very used to being uncomfortable, I think, <laughs> at this point. Yeah. Um, and just being on the go, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. That is awesome. So I'm curious, you, so, okay, so you moved to Australia. And I know you said that that is pretty much like why your business came to be. But how did you like, did you just wake up one day and was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to start a business today? Or did you like take a course or how did you like get, get your started up and yeah. off the ground? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when we first got there, I was still kind of in denial about starting my own business. I mean, I I think Deep down, I knew that's what I was going to have to do. That was mm-hmm. going to be the easiest, conveniently, or like maybe conveniently is not the right. Like ironically, starting a business was going to be the easiest <laughs> <Yeah>. option. 
I get it. Never easy, but (laughs) but for my unique situation, it just made sense for my lifestyle. But at the time, I was still kind of holding on to the fact that like, no, I'm not ready. I just graduated. I don't have enough experience. I'm not confident enough. Like I just I had a lot of self-doubt. And so I spent a few weeks just applying for regular jobs like Mm -hmm. daycare, receptionist, anything. But on a tourist visa, it can be difficult to get responses <laughs> from yes. people once they realize you're on a tourist visa. So yeah, I'm probably I'm lucky that I didn't hear back from any of those jobs because it really gave me no other option. Um, and so I finally, I was just like, you know what, I need something to do because otherwise I'm going to go crazy being in a foreign country where I don't know anyone. Um, you know, I kind of followed my husband here <laughs> for his thing. What's my thing going to be so that I feel like I have a purpose here. Yeah, that's that's when I kind of decided, okay, I, I have to, I love design. I'm just going to make it work. I, I don't know what I'm doing at all. Yeah. And so that whole, that whole first summer, really that whole first year was just a lot of trying to to learn as much as I could from, you know, blogs or I don't think I, I didn't take any courses or anything yet at that point because I didn't have any money <laughs> to take a course. Yeah. Um, but interacting in online groups for other designers, entrepreneurs, just doing anything mm-hmm. that I could to, you know, figure out how to get started and those general like business things that even though I went to school for design, I didn't know anything about running a business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um and obviously that's such a big part of it, even though I I felt I was talented you know, I needed to know how to put together contracts and set up a process and like invoice people. And there was just so much to learn. So I feel like that whole first year was just me learning (laughs) um, the business side of everything and also trying to figure out what my style was and like what type of designer I wanted to be and creating any work I could and just sharing it like crazy to try and attract clients since I didn't have any network kind of set up. Yeah. So how did you, in the beginning, like go about finding or connecting with clients? Mostly Instagram. That was because I didn't really know what to do other than that. Um, And I feel like it was pretty good timing because that was 2016. And I don't know, I feel like that was around the time when a lot of businesses were starting to advertise their services on social media and people were actively looking Mm -hmm. for people to hire through there as well. Mm-hmm. So it felt like a pretty good time for me, at least at that point, because I I knew that there wasn't any point in me trying to like network locally, like go mm-hmm. out and, yeah. you know, connect with local business owners because I was going to be leaving that country in a few months. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that was kind of felt like a waste of time. So yeah, social media, Instagram was my go-to for sharing my work and trying to attract clients. And it was slow, to be honest. And in, in that whole first year, it was very slow because I was starting from from zero and and also felt kind of disconnected since I was in a foreign country. And I don't know, worried that it would make people confused <laughs> thinking that they were going to hire, you know, someone local or someone in the US and then realize I was in a different country and then get worried of like, oh, is that going to be an issue <laughs> that you're so far away? Yeah, navigating a lot of a lot of that in that first year. Mm-hmm. Have you found that since, like now, I guess seven years in of you know going country to country, do you 
like get out and network with local people in each country? Like, I guess me, you know, I'm in the U.S., so I feel like all of my clients are in the U.S. I do have a few in Canada, but like, have you found that by, you know, being in other countries throughout these past years, like, is your client base kind of all over the world from like networking or Mm -hmm. is it still? We still mostly work with U.S. clients. Uh, We've worked with some people who are um, in other countries. Like I did work with someone in Australia, um, worked with a couple people in like the Scandinavia, Norway area. But yeah, mostly U.S. clients still. And and honestly, I... I have not found the the distance to be really an issue. And especially, I mean, of course, back then in 2016, it was a little bit weird to work with someone remotely. But mm-hmm. now after the pandemic, like everybody's yeah. working remotely. It's, it's really not an normal. issue. We're so, so grateful for technology that it really helps, mm-hmm. you know, avoid a lot of the obstacles that we would have had before. But yeah, mostly working with U.S. clients, I think because it's just pretty clear that I'm from the U.S., <laughs> even though I'm living somewhere else. And I honestly, I don't share a ton about our like traveling stuff because I don't know. I don't want that to be like the main theme. I don't want to be like a travel. I don't want to turn into a travel blogger, I I guess. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. You know, so I'm I'm mainly just talking about our work and sharing our work and, and everything. And so, yeah, I don't know. I think the, the traveling side, of course, it's a great story on the side. And it definitely inspired the name for the business, Wayfarer, which means a traveler. But yeah, I don't know. I just don't think that the the distance, it hasn't been as much of an issue as I maybe originally thought it could. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how like, I mean, because obviously when you started the remote thing, working remotely with people wasn't a thing. Like how is it, you know, since COVID happening and people are starting to work more remote. How has that changed? Has that helped your business? Has that, um, how has that impacted your business? Yeah, I think it's definitely helped because I do remember in the early days, I would have some people reach out wanting to work with us and they loved our work and everything, but then they would say, oh, I found somebody who was local and that just like makes more sense. And I totally understand because there are still some moments, especially since we work in like e-commerce product-based industries, you know, when we're doing packaging stuff, sometimes that can be a little complicated because we aren't there in person, right? If we're ordering packaging samples, I'm not there in person to, you know, take a look at them and hold them and stuff with our client. You know, we're having to like do stuff over Zoom or send pictures back and forth, or maybe they'll send a sample to me and they'll get a sample. I don't know. It does complicate things sometimes. So I get why some businesses would rather work with someone local. But I feel like as the years have gone on, people just want to find a designer that has the experience, has the style that they're looking for. And the distance isn't really, it's not a huge issue. You know, the the other things, finding the right fit, that's more important to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I'm sure like you said before, it also probably helps that communicating like this, like on Zoom and, you know, communicating with people all over the world now. It's so like common. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or I don't know, common, but it's not as weird. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Well, let's switch gears because I am interested to get like some, uh, pick your brain a little bit about some design and branding. So I am curious. So like, 
say you get a client and do you like you basically help them get started and get like their website branding and then packaging, like get everything set um, so they're good to go like visually? Yeah, yeah. A lot of our clients, uh, they're either there are two different like scenarios that they come to us in. Um, a lot of them are just getting started or haven't even started the business yet officially. Like they have the idea, they have the product, but they they want to just go ahead and invest in a beautiful strategic branding experience because they want to start things right and like really see fast growth um, mm-hmm. from that. So. That's kind of the first person that we work with a lot. The other one is they've been in business for like three to five years and maybe they DIY'd their branding in the beginning because that's what you know made the most sense for them. It got them started. It was simple. It was enough <laughs> in the beginning, but now they've been in business a few years and they've grown and realized, oh, this logo that I DIY'd in Canva by myself doesn't really match what I'm doing anymore. <laughs> and I need something more elevated, something that's going to help me get to whatever the next big goal is. Like, And usually they're at a point where they're they're trying to make that next big move. Like they're, they're wanting to expand and, you know, get bigger brand partnerships or stockists or, you know, open their own brick and mortar or something like that. And they feel like, okay, we need a, a refresh <laughs> somehow. So yeah, those are kind of the two groups that we end up working with. And yeah, usually starting with the brand identity, probably doing packaging for them. And then yeah, if the website is a big thing for them where they're, you know, generating a lot of their sales, then yeah, doing website as well, mostly on Shopify. Mm -hmm. So tell us about like packaging, because I feel like, like, you know, web design and branding, that's uh, or I personally in the online space, I hear a lot about, you know, website tips, branding tips, that sort of thing. But packaging, I really don't hear a lot about that. So mm-hmm. like, tell us, like, what makes a packet or like, what makes a product stand out on a shelf? Like, what is your process for deciding what packaging to do? Yeah. So one thing that we always do with our clients, one of like the first things that we'll do, and we kind of do this with the branding in mind as well, but definitely applies to the packaging, is we're going to look at, are there any common themes or trends that are popping up within your industry among your competitors? Because that's going to be really important, especially when you're thinking about the shelf appeal. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times you'll notice that everybody's using the same style of font or everybody's using a similar color palette, or everybody's using the exact same box or bottle. And sometimes there's a good reason for that. Sometimes it's because, especially thinking about packaging, like types of bottles or boxes, sometimes it's because it's the most cost efficient. (laughs) It's the cheapest one, and that's fine. But sometimes you might realize it's just everybody's doing something the same way because it's what's expected. And that gives you a really good opportunity to break away from a trend and do something a little bit different to instantly make your product stand out. So that's something that we always do when starting the branding process, but also thinking about packaging. We'll, in our like first phase of our process, we'll do a bunch of research on the competitors and we'll usually just take screenshots, take screenshots of their logos, of their product, and put them all side by side so that we can start to pick apart, okay, everybody's doing this the same way. Why is this? And how can we do something different that also 
aligns with your brand values and really is helping you mm-hmm. say what you want to say to people. So that's like one of the first things I, I think is helpful for people to think about is being mindful and just kind of observing everybody doing something the same way <laughs> in your industry. And that can be hard, especially nowadays, because especially with, you know, we've gotten used to social media, everything's driven by trends, trending audio, you're like encouraged to follow a trend, because you think that's what's going to be recognized and end up getting a broader reach. But when it comes to branding and packaging, sometimes that can really hurt you because then you're just blending in, and you're not going to be noticed anymore. Right, Mm -hmm. right. Yeah, I recently heard, I think it maybe it was Jenna Kutcher was talking about like website design. And she was like, don't follow the trend because, you know, you've spent so much money this year and create a trendy website. And then, you know, by next year or the year after, it's going to be out of style. So then Mm -hmm. you're so, yeah, that makes um, so much sense, like with packaging and everything. Are there particular like, what's the word? Uh, Like, are there a particular like, are your clients, do they tend to be a particular product lines? Like what kind of companies do you work with, with the branding mm-hmm. and, and packaging and all that stuff? Yeah. So we, we definitely don't like niche to us, a, a specific industry. Cause mm-hmm. I would get bored if we were working with <laughs> only one type of client mm-hmm. all the time again and again. So we've worked with people in skincare, um, food, beverage, interior design or like home goods, people, baby goods, fashion. We've worked across all of those different industries. I think the one thing that's kind of a common thread between all of the clients that we work with is we really want to work with people that are trying to disrupt their industry in some way. Mm -hmm. Because I just, I mean, selfishly, (laughs) I guess, I get so excited whenever our client has like found that, okay, this product has been done the same way again and again and again for a really long time. I'm going to create a better version of this or a new version, just bringing something new to their industry. Those are the clients that we really love working with because I think it adds an extra challenge with their branding Mm -hmm. because if they're creating something new that maybe hasn't been done before or it's just a different approach to, to something, then They've got to do a lot of extra work on the branding side and the messaging side to gain people's trust and convince them, hey, this is different. This product is different than what you're used to using, but here's why it's better and it's worth it for you to change up you know, what you've, what you've used before. So yeah, those are the, the people that, that we really love working with. <laughs> What are two tips that you could give our listeners that are a product-based business? Like what packaging tips do you have for them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think big one that I that I uh, a mistake that I see often is paying attention to the like sizing of things on your packaging and learning a little bit about hierarchy. In your packaging design, I remember I did like an Instagram post on this way back trying to like explain it because I really think it's so important. Whenever you're looking at um, a product, you want to use the like sizing of the product name, maybe, you know, a little tagline about like what the product does, your logo, 
the sizing of all of that is very important because you want to think about what do people need to see first to like gain their trust or for them to realize, oh, that's the product I'm looking for. So yeah, you want to think about, okay, what's going to be the most important thing for people to see about this product first? Is it my brand name? Is it the name of the product? Is it the list of benefits or the ingredients behind the product? Because that's going to be different for everybody, right? Mm -hmm. I think sometimes clients, uh, and I've noticed this with our own clients that we work with, sometimes they can get tripped up with like, they just want to make their logo as big as possible Mm -hmm. on on the package because they want people to recognize their name which totally fine. But (laughs) whenever you're first starting out, if people, if you're not like a, you know, widely known brand, then if your logo is the only thing that they really see on the package and they don't, they don't know who you are yet. So why is that going to make them want to buy it? They need to know what the product is or what the benefit is, like what makes it better than all the others. So yeah, those are things to think about. Yeah. I don't know. It's always hard to explain, I think, design things in a podcast because yes. I wish I could give like a PowerPoint yes. station yeah. to show you exactly what I mean. But I hope that makes yeah. sense. It might yeah. be that like where you're at right now, what's really going to be like the driving force for people to pick up your product versus someone else's is if they see that you use certain types of ingredients because mm-hmm. maybe that's something that other brands aren't using. So you might want to make that information bigger on the packaging than your logo. And maybe then in five years, when now you're a huge brand that everybody knows, then you can change it up and make your logo the biggest thing. Because then people are just going to see, oh, this is that brand. I'm going to buy anything that they're selling, you know? But yeah, I think that's a a big one that a lot of people make that that mistake. Because yeah, I, I get it why you think I want my logo to be as big as possible. So everybody <laughs> learns my name. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's not always going to be the best thing to actually get people to pick your product up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes so much sense. And I'm immediately like thinking about skincare products that have like, mm-hmm. um, like I'm attracted to like clean skincare. So like mm-hmm. a lot of times, like it pops right out to me if it says, um, what does it say? Nat- not, not natural, but I don't know, Leaping Bunny approved or, you know, something mm-hmm. like that. A yeah. lot of products do. Yeah. So yeah, that makes sense. Now I'm going to be thinking about that, Abby. I'm going to be mm-hmm. like, this is why they did that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Do you have any tips for like saving money on packaging or what's what's like a money saving tip? One that I love, because um, we've done this for our few, a few of our own clients, using QR codes in your packaging. It's such yes. a great way to save money because I'll give you an example. Um, so we had a client, uh, we were designing their like shipping box and they were one of these clients that they had created a product that was different than what was out there. And so they needed to have like a, here's how to use this mm-hmm. type of thing within the the unboxing experience so that people made sure that they you know, use the product correctly. And so we created a QR code to put on the box because that way they weren't having to print extra, you know, little pamphlets or something that they would include with the product. The QR code was just printed directly on the box and that way people could just scan it and then it would take them to a page on their website. And the best thing I think about doing that 
is what if you come out with a new product in the future <laughs> um, or if something about your product changes, you don't have to spend all the money to reprint all of these boxes. Mm -hmm. If you've used that QR code well, then you're just updating a page on your website with the new information yeah. rather than having to reprint a bunch of stuff or have wasted money because you have all this old packaging with old information that isn't relevant anymore. So yeah, that's one of my favorites, yeah, I think. That's smart. That is brilliant. Yes. Even it's funny because, sorry, I was just no, going to say, it's so funny because back whenever I was in um, college, I had an internship for with my university in like a communications office. And I remember my boss told me to not put a QR code on this brochure that I was designing because she was like, QR codes are dead and nobody uses them. But after the pandemic, all these restaurants started using QR codes again for menus. Yeah, and for menus. now they're like mainstream again. And I think it's so useful to have them. Now I see them on like Hulu ads and so like on the TV. Yeah. It's crazy just how they've, it's just funny to me <laughs> that I was told eight years ago how don't use them. They're dead. Yeah. <laughs> and now, now they've like had a resurgence. more popular. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'm thinking about it could I think it would be such good, like a customer experience to say like for a skincare product, because I know a lot of people will buy um, like, let's say retinol, for instance, I was just talking about retinol last night with a friend and, you know, they don't really know how to use it or when to use it or all this. So if you like put a QR code on the packaging and say, watch me for a tutorial and that mm -hmm. could lead to like a YouTube video and like yeah. showing how to use that, like that customer experience is mm -hmm. that would stand out tremendously. Mm -hmm. That's so and I think it's just, it's more in line now with the content that people will actually take the time to consume and like pay yeah. attention to because people, we just don't really like reading stuff. I don't know <laughs> anymore. Yeah. I think yeah. if you have, you know, a long like written pamphlet, people probably aren't going to read through that. They're just going to skim yeah. through or something. But video clearly is, you know, what's hot right now as far as consumption of media or whatever. So yeah, if you can just scan a code and then be able to actually watch a tutorial, especially in a in an industry like skincare or something. I mean, that's what people, they want to see someone using it. And mm -hmm. yeah, it's just, I don't know. I, I will always love QR codes, mm -hmm. <laughs> even if they go out of style again. I think that they're really useful. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. I've been... um like just, I need to get one just to like, cause I do a lot of, you know, pop-up in person events and people want to like follow Instagram or follow my, you know, so I'm like, I have been needing to create a QR code just so people can quickly like scan it and then it takes them right and they can follow my stuff or whatnot. So I've been, yeah, that's one thing like I have been slacking on that I need to step it up because that I think it can be very useful and helpful and it's just quick and convenient for people just to scan it and get whatever information they need. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Do you have a, and if, if you can't like say it, that's totally fine, but like what has been your favorite, not necessarily favorite client to work with, but like what branding, I guess, experience did you create that you are most proud of or you were like this is so cool like I can't believe I did this mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah gosh I mean 
of course we love all of the (laughs) projects that we work on. Um, I think that maybe I'll talk about the one that we're doing right now. I mean, we've already shared some of it like on social media and everything, but the brand hasn't officially launched yet, but I've still, I've shared the part that I'm going to share right now publicly. So it doesn't matter. Okay. Just because we were so proud of uh, the design and like the meaning behind it. We're working with a brand right now called Kaftari. Um, They're going to be launching with a line of candles. They're made with essential oils. But the really cool thing, the reason why we were so excited to work with them was they've done a lot of research around the science behind scent and how, you know, different fragrance molecules, how they impact brain activity and, and then impacting your mood. So they've created these different candles that are meant to do specific things to your mood and like your brain waves. Mm-hmm. And so we found that to be really cool. And the founder, she got interested in it because she was going through a point in her life where she wasn't sleeping very well. And she tried lots of different things to like help her be able to sleep better. And she found that fragrance, certain fragrances really helped her sleep better. And just the, I mean, of course, sleep is so important for your overall health, but yeah, so that's kind of where it started. And so whenever we were working on the brand, we pretty quickly had this idea of illustrating brain waves um, so that and, and using that as like a stylish but meaningful way to capture in the product packaging, like what the impact of the scent mm-hmm. was going to be. And so we're currently in the process of like getting the candles all printed or, or manufactured, but each candle has a different brainwave on it that is following like the, you know, the scientific, <laughs> I don't know, shape of the brainwave. But, you know, the brainwave for, or the candle that's meant to help with sleep um, and re- relaxation, that brainwave is like very subtle and smooth. And then there's another candle that's meant to boost your energy and creativity. And that one is like very, you know, highs and lows. You can feel the frequency, (laughs) I guess, of it. So yeah, that's one that we're working on right now that we were just so happy with. Like we instantly thought, let's use brainwaves, but we knew that we wanted it to be like a very high-end, like luxury looking product. And when you think of brainwaves, I don't know, that doesn't seem very like sexy. (laughs) (laughs) luxury but we were able to make it happen and it turned out so beautiful yeah and just grateful that our client trusted us with that Mm -hmm. idea (laughs) I feel like it's always a little nerve-wracking whenever we like latch onto this amazing idea me and our other designer Christina we're like so excited about it but then we're like is the client not going to be able to like understand (laughs) our vision and thinks that we're crazy or something but yeah we're always grateful when they trust us and then of course that it all works out. But yeah, we're just so excited because the brainwave looks beautiful and it's like all laser engraved on the vessels and on the box. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. Oh, I love that. Wait to see them. And that's so different, like the story behind it, because I mean, obviously everybody, you know, I'm, I'm sure most people know that there are certain scents that like, you know, help you sleep or energize you and stuff, but nobody talks about the brainwaves. So, Mm -hmm. and that's why that was one of those things, like I talked about before with like, we looked at all these other candle brands and candles, that's such a huge industry. It's very saturated. We looked at all these other candle brands and there are other brands that are doing similar 
things as far as using essential oils, using like aromatherapy, but in their packaging and their branding, they weren't like conveying the science behind it in that way. And so that's why we were like, we've got to do something bold to really tell that story. And yeah, it just worked out so well. And we're so excited for for it to come out. It'll come out later this year, I think is when when they're planning to launch. But yeah, you can head to our Instagram and see some previews of it if you want to see. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Oh, I was going to ask you too. So I know when you, you know, obviously you started your business, you were a one woman show, um, but you have since added team members, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how, how did you scale? What was that like? And where are your team members located? Are they all over the world too? Are they? <laughs> yeah, they're both They're both in the US. Um, I found, because I am, even though we travel, I'm my business is registered in the US. So mm-hmm. it's better <laughs> to, I don't know. I, I worked with like a hiring person, an HR person to make sure that I was like doing everything the right way, which I highly recommend for anyone who is a small business owner who is hiring. It's so helpful to work with like a hiring consultant because I I don't know it, I feel like a lot of imposter syndrome comes up during that hiring process when you are a solopreneur because you're like I want to make sure that these people I don't know I want to feel like a legit boss right <laughs> and having hiring experts like guide you through that process makes it so much easier but yeah they're both in the US um it wasn't until like four years, three or four years in that I felt ready to expand a bit. Um, And I now I have employees, but at first I did contractor Mm -hmm. positions. So just working like project by project. And that was a good way for me to kind of ease into it because it is really difficult to, especially I think as a creative, like I was doing all the work myself and creative work is, it can be hard to bring someone else in and collaborate because you, I don't know, you have to think about, of course, timelines and and stuff, but also just your creative styles like meshing well. And yeah, so so yeah, I, I worked with a few different people with like contractor roles um, before I finally felt ready um, and like prepared to have more permanent people mm-hmm. on my team. But yeah, now my employees, they've been with me both for over a year. Uh, and it's been amazing. It was something I, I, in the beginning, I definitely did not think that I would ever hire. I was so, I don't know, held on to everything so tightly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was fine having control over everything <laughs> by myself. But now I'm so glad that that I have them um, and their support. It just took me a few years to, to realize that it was beneficial, I guess, mm-hmm. to let other people in and, you know, allow me to just focus on the things that I love to do the most in the business and have other people um, kind of delegate do the things that they're best that. at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a hurdle that every solopreneur has to jump over. I know I dealt with it at the end of last year and it's like, like your business becomes like your baby. Like it's, mm-hmm. I know for me, I just, it was so hard for me to think about somebody coming in and doing some of the work because to me, it's just like, oh my gosh, this is no. But yeah, it's a hurdle that you just kind of have to go over. I think if you want to scale and grow, you, I mean, you have to have help. So mm-hmm. yeah. 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 
Well, I have one more question for you, just because we love to be kind of transparent on this show and, you know, let our listeners know that having a business isn't all rainbows and butterflies. So what is like the pit? Like if you can think of like one day that was like the pit, like one of the worst days in business where you were just like, I guess, stressed out, um, like what was that moment? And then what did you do to overcome that? Ooh, there's been a few pits. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll try to think of one in particular. I mean, I think the first big one, like the most pivotal one was like three years in because I just like hit my limit. I, I think I, at the, t- I was getting clients consistently um, and it was still just me in the business. Mm-hmm. I was getting clients consistently, but I just felt like I'd hit my limit with like what I could charge, even though I knew my prices were so cheap compared to the amount of work I was doing and also the talent I had and like compared to what I knew other people were charging. But I just, I don't know. I didn't feel like I could charge more than what I was. And I was barely making any money at all. And yeah, I was just like overworked, underpaid and <laughs> exhausted. And the way I got out of it was I I invested in like a mastermind group. And it was just crazy. I think after doing that, the next year, I like tripled my income or something. It was crazy. And I, I remember being so scared because I really was not making much money at all. And for me to invest, I don't remember how much it was, probably a few thousand dollars or something. But like I was nervous about spending that amount because really during the whole first three years, I kind of prided myself by not spending any money. (laughs) I think in my in my mind, I thought if I can have the lowest expenses possible, that's like the best thing for the business. Which yeah, of course you don't want to have crazy expenses, but I wasn't investing anything into the business. And I also wasn't paying myself either. (laughs) I think I was just holding like just saving any money that I had. <laughs> I don't know. But but yeah, it was just such a big moment for me that I went from feeling like the business was going absolutely nowhere, <laughs> even though I was putting in so much work, to then finally seeing such growth and like, I don't know, finally starting to feel like it was a real business and not just something that I was doing all the time and getting nothing for it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 What mastermind was it? Um, It was called Design Biz Mastery with Morgan Rapp. Um, I think she's closed it now. I think she just recently closed it. I'm not sure. Uh, And it was also, that was a long time ago. It was different back then. She kind of like, I don't know, evolved it over the years. Um, But yeah, I think that it was just a huge step for me to finally admit that like I needed help from somebody else who had been where I wanted to go. Because I also think in those early years, I was scared to ask for help, which was crazy, <laughs> like or just silly. Like, but I, I think I thought that people would be offended or like annoyed if I asked for help, like thinking that I was trying to like steal their secrets or something. You know, mm-hmm. like that's a that's what kind of held me back from asking for help. But but people, it was just the opposite. I mean, people I think are so so willing because they've all been there too. They're Mm -hmm. so willing to offer advice 
um, and share, mm-hmm. you know, their experiences, what worked, what didn't. Yeah. You just got to seek it out. Yeah. Completely agree. And then of course we don't want to leave on a, like a sad <laughs> note. So what has been like the peak of your journey and a day when you were just like, so, so proud of yourself? Yeah. I mean, I feel really good. I think this year, last year was also like a little difficult only because I think a lot of people in the design industry, but also every industry in general. I mean, we've had, you know, recession talks and a lot of people just kind of being nerve, like kind of on edge all the time. And, um, you know, not really knowing, like, should I invest in branding right now? Should I just save up for, you know, what maybe is coming? Mm-hmm. All of last year was kind of weird. <laughs> but this year, I've felt really good, especially about the clients that we're working with. I feel like we've just got some clients that are doing incredible things. And I'm just, I feel so lucky to be able to be a small part in their journey. And, you know, I'm just, I, I think that's what the high for me always is whenever I take a look back at the brands that we've been able to support and just thinking about how, you know, I'm, I so admire like how bold they were to be like, here's a problem. I'm going to fix it. Even though I don't have experience creating this product, I'm going to figure it out and like create this on my own. I don't know. I just feel so proud to like support those people that inspire me so much. And also, I feel like I've been living in Spain. I got to live in Spain this year. And so I've (laughs) had moments uh, (laughs) lately where I've like looked around, like walking back from the cafe or something, and it's beautiful. And I don't know, just being like, man, I don't know. I'm running a business and I get to go out to a cafe in Spain in the afternoon and sit in the sun. And I don't know, it feels good that I've, (laughs) I don't know, that I've been able to build the, the business around this lifestyle for myself. Yeah. I think your teenage self that was editing my space, I think she would be pretty proud of you. Dude, she but, wouldn't even believe. Yeah. <laughs> she wouldn't even believe it. Yeah. <laughs> no way. Yeah. Oh. oh, I love it so much. One thing um, that we like to ask all of our guests on the show, um, if you had one piece of advice for our listeners, it can be business-related, life-related, whatever, what would what would it be? Um, I think I was about to say something super cheesy of just follow your heart, but I'll reframe that too. <laughs> Um, and it's actually the like tagline for Wayfair, but I feel like it's my tagline for business, for life, for everything. And it's where the heart leads results will follow. And I think that's what got me here today, I guess, because going all the way back to the beginning, you know, my husband called me in class and was like, Hey, you want to get married and move to Australia? And I just immediately said yes. Cause in my heart, I just knew, I mean, we hadn't no idea where we were going to live or like what life was going to be like. We didn't know anything. It was a high risk situation. And I feel like our parents thought we were crazy. (laughs) But I think in my gut, in my heart, I just knew like, I need to do this. And it the whole time, I don't think I really even second guessed it. I just knew that I was supposed to do it. And so, yeah, I think my advice is to just listen to that feeling. It's going to lead you where you're supposed to be. 
eventually. <laughs> Maybe it won't <laughs> feel like it immediately, but eventually, yeah, results will follow. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Abby, this has been amazing. I love, love your story. And yeah, you just, you seem like an awesome, awesome person. So where can our listeners find you, connect with you, tell them all the things? Yeah. So I'm mainly on Instagram. Um, so you can follow us there. It's at Wayfair Design Studio. And then also check out our website um, if you want to see our work or learn about our services. We also have a blog on there where we share lots of branding, e-commerce, web design tips. And yeah, we also have some freebies if you're like looking for actionable things or <laughs> um, stuff. If you go to wayfairdesignstudio.com slash resources, you can find those on there. We have a brand color palette quiz that's really fun to take um, that'll like match you with a color palette that we've put together or our Shopify launch guide if you're an e-commerce person. Yeah, we have some fun things on there that you can download for free. Very cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was great. Thank you for listening to our mommy show. Please subscribe and share with all your friends. See you in two weeks. Have a good day.